0: Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook podcast. Each week we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing
1: professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to.
0: The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing.
1: We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five B's, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for.
0: We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and
1: tactics that work, then this podcast is for you.
0: Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook
1: first. Remember, Successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.
0: Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Kevin, this week's interview is with Miles Madden, the Senior Demand Generation Manager of Observe.ai and previously Performance Marketing Manager at Refine Labs, who are probably best known for leading the demand generation movement in the USA. Miles's content has been excellent on LinkedIn and is particularly relevant to the B-scene stage of the framework that we're discussing this season. And he's personally navigating the in-house journey of implementing a demand generation led marketing overhaul. So we are so lucky to have him on and share his personal experiences and insights.
1: Another great find, George. There were so many great points that came out of the conversation that listeners, you really have to hear for yourself. But a few quick teasers as usual. Sometimes it's hard to shift to demand generation in your marketing. It's long-term and not for the faint of heart. But
0: if you're in it for the long haul,
1: then it's got to be the way to go.
0: Yep, and creating demand is really about creating desire. So changing a few tactics will help, but it's not going to get you to where you really want to go. Also, it helps to have a story
1: or someone external to help get wider business buy-in. Without it, you won't even get started and a couple of numbers to back up the case also helps.
0: Speaking of external parties, Kev, Miles also spoke about the role that agencies can play in this process. And they do have a role provided that you find the good ones. But as we've always said, Kev, there are some things that just need to be done internally. So even if you get a bit of external help and advice, there are things that need to be done in-house. And some of those things include orchestrating with and aligning with the rest of the business to make sure you're all on the same trajectory.
1: And this one's a little different, but I loved it. Don't be afraid to bring in the creatives and let them do their thing after equipping them with the
0: insights that you have. Love the creatives bringing a bit of fun back into the B2B world. Thanks, Kev. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Miles Madden. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, as you know, we rarely have guests on our show. Instead, we select a few true experts who come on at the perfect time in the context of the podcast to share their knowledge. Now we're at the end of season three and we've given you listeners the foundations for what we think is sustainable B2B marketing. So today we have Miles Madden on to talk about a fundamental aspect of a sustainable B2B marketing strategy. And that's demand creation and capture. Now, Miles is the senior demand generation manager of Observe AI, a platform that's transforming contact centers by embedding AI into customer conversations, optimizing agent performance, and automating workflows that drive revenue and retention. He was previously a performance marketing manager at Refine Labs, who are probably best known for leading the demand generation movement in the USA. Miles, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate that great introduction, <laughs> the full
2: background and everything. That's, that's awesome. I'm really excited to be on the podcast with, with the both of you. Um, obviously, I've been following you, George, for some time on LinkedIn, and, and you're a
0: marketing leader, and I love interacting with awesome, smart people. So really excited to be here today. Oh, that's very kind of you. I we've been following each other for some time. I've certainly learned a lot from you. And I said to Kevin, we have to get Miles on the show. And Miles, I remember we had a conversation, gee, it must have been three or four months ago, <laughs> where we had a quick chat uh, just over video. And I said, you're perfect for this section in the podcast. And we kept our word. We're finally here. We've got you on. And uh, it's, th- it's truly the perfect fit in my mind. That's awesome. Yeah, I
2: was, uh, to be honest with you, very surprised that you guys kept your word. No, no knock on, obviously, you as, you, as, you as humans, but a lot of times <laughs> I get
0: that and, and no response. <laughs> so
2: I, I do really appreciate that. That's, that means a lot.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, Miles, I want to set the scene by actually reading you a quote from one of your LinkedIn posts as a bit of a launching off point. So the post goes, The majority of B2B companies spend 90% of their budget on capturing demand. And with only three to 5% of the market actively in buy mode, how does that budget allocation logically make sense? Miles, first off, what is capturing demand and why are businesses spending most of their budget there? Yeah, that's a great question.
2: So capturing demand, uh, simply put, is capturing buyers that are in market to buy. And so if we think of, for instance, a human resources software, 95% of the market is not in market to buy the solution, but there's 5% of the market that is typing into Google, human resources software, or they're going to review sites such as G2 or Captera, and they're showing interest and intent um, that they need that solution. Now, like I said, only three to 5% of the market is actively in buy mode. And to keep this relevant, it gets even worse during a economic downturn. I don't know how it is over in Australia right now, but in the United States, we're going through a little, uh, some rocky economic conditions. So in times like this, you're even seeing one to 2% of the market uh, uh, actually actively in buy mode. So uh, in economic conditions, it, it can get worse. Um, but like I said, simply put, it's, it's things like Google ads um, review sites, sales. Sales is capturing demand. You're speaking to someone that's showing an interest and intent to buy a product. Um, and like the Post said, majority of marketing activities are focused on capturing that demand, which you could use the term uh, digital sales. That's something that, that Chris Walker, uh, my former C- CEO, uh, he, he coined that term. Um, and so the reason why a lot of these companies are, are investing all this money in capturing demand, digital sales, is because those are the only activities that get tracked by attribution. Most marketing teams right now, uh, the, the attribution model that they use is software-based attribution. Um, and whether whether it's first, task, for first touch or last touch or multi, multi-touch attribution, it doesn't matter. They're constrained by attribution software because as you guys know, there's only six to eight sources from attribution software. You're looking at direct, organic, paid search, and because there's very few options, marketing teams just focus on uh, their time and their budget towards activities that show that attribution through software-based attribution, where the things that actually create the demand, the things that can't be tracked by attribution software, no money is getting deployed to those activities because you can't track it or because historically you can't track it, although we have a new uh, solution for that. Um, does that answer your question?
0: Absolutely, yes. I mean, I think that really sets sets the scene here. We we've, we've got the problem here and a lot of it comes down to attribution and how marketing teams are measured. And we've established that most marketing teams are really spending their budget in capturing demand to meet those objectives set for them. But really, that pool, that 3 to 5%, even in an economic downturn that's shrinking to become smaller and smaller. Kevin I've likened it to, you know, jumping into a swimming pool that's full of sharks and <laughs> you keep adding more and more sharks and it's a total bloodbath if all you're doing is capturing demand there. And you mentioned that creating demand is somewhat of an antidote to that. What does creating demand really mean to you?
2: That's a great question. Before I answer that, there's one more point that I wanna add on capturing demand. One of the biggest concerns I also have with only focusing on capturing demand is that you become a commoditized beneficiary to the demand that is created. So you do not control the market. You're essentially waiting for someone to for the demand to be created by either someone else or through word of mouth um, and you're waiting for those people to come to you or, or for them to go and research and buy mo, and then you're battling with everyone else for that individual um, versus creating demand. You control that story. You control the market. You help develop this this need and this want for your category and for your product. Therefore, you you have some control on, on the amount of people that can... Um, enter the market in terms of trying to buy your product. So now to answer your question, what is creating demand? Simply put, it's just creating an intense desire for a specific audience or market to buy your product or want your product. Um, And it it typically creates an evangelistic buyer. And so all we're doing with creating demand is, is creating this desire inside of a target market and making them put our category or our product or the issue that we're resolving at the top of their, their priority list.
0: That, that makes a lot of sense. And I do want to get into um, the nitty gritty of creating demand and particularly get your insights uh, since you've been both agency side and you've moved in-house. And, uh, but before we look at that, just to expand on creating demand what what metrics should a business really look for to see if their demand creation strategy is working? Yes, so it there's a few early indicators
2: um, that we'll touch on here, but personally, if we're if we're looking at the marketing program and its effectiveness, or excuse me, the marketing department, it, it's good to look and analyze at, at individual programs and channels, but if we're actually gauging the performance marketing, it's gotta be at the inbound revenue and qualified pipeline level. Um, So we'll get into how we measure demand creation, but I personally don't like to segment demand creation performance and demand capture performance. I just look at marketing as a system, how it's performing. And if inbound revenue targets are being hit, then we we can look at what programs are allowing us to hit those inbound revenue and qualified pipeline targets. But if they're not hitting, then we can diagnose the problem. And how I do that is that I then look at the capture demand channels and the create demand channels, splice that and diagnose where where this gap is, where the lack of performance is. Um, so in terms of creating demand, this kind of takes us down the rabbit hole of, of how we actually do that tactics to redeploy and what the strategy is. Um, so I don't know if you want to, to go down that route yet. I'll leave that up to you as the host. Um, but does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, so you said so you don't really want to, to separate it out, but there are some leading and lagging indicators to see if your strategy is working when it comes to creating demand, right? Because it takes time. I mean, typically how long uh, does it take for you to see a demand creation strategy actually start to work? I mean, keep in mind, we have the capture still going, um, but for a business that is transitioning to a demand creation strategy and adding that into the mix, how long before we start to see an effect?
2: Absolutely. So
0: I've seen a pretty significant
2: impact by 60 to 90 days, but the caveat to that is you have to have flawless digital execution. A lot of teams will shift their their marketing strategy to implement, create demand, but they don't have the experience or the expertise to have that flawless digital execution yet. So if you do not have that experience, I would set the standard at around 120 days. If you have someone who has that experience um, that can flawlessly execute, I've seen it happen at 60 to 90 days. Um, and a lot of people are surprised by that answer um particularly because it seems really fast with creating demand we're changing behaviors and mindsets and taking a priority and and pushing it to the top Um, but the reason why right now at this moment it is able to be effective pretty immediately in 60 to 90 days is because very very few companies are actually doing this Um, i've my experience is working with some of the fastest-growing uh, B2B SaaS companies in the globe and, and that spanned across several different uh, industries and verticals in terms of uh, the products and who they sold to. And typically in each market, there was only one company that was deploying a strategy like that. So, because nobody else is doing it and you're the only one in the market to do it, you can see results significantly faster. Um, and you also touched on these early indicators to demand creation. And so this is, this is great. There's a few things that I look at. Um, the first is something that I call brand-aware traffic. You should see week over week and month over month and quarter over quarter increases in brand-aware traffic. And how I define that is direct traffic pulled from Google Analytics, and I take the session volume. I take paid search, branded traffic, the session volume also pulled from uh, Google Analytics and you, you use the keyword filter and filter by your brand name. Um, and then organic branded traffic, you pull that through Google search, uh, search Console and filter by your brand name. And essentially what those are, are sources of traffic that were derived from people that either typed in your brand name in Google or typed in your, your website in the search bar and directly went to your website And the only way someone can do that is if they know who you are, if the demand was created earlier on and now they're coming back to your website. So that's a very, very early indicator. That's something that is helpful to a marketing department. But that doesn't mean a lot when you're talking to sales, right? Sales teams want to see qualified leads coming inbound. So that takes us to this next um, demand creation metric which are an increase in high intent conversions. Things like schedule a demo um, or for instance at Observe AI, we have an on-demand demo uh, that you can that you can watch that's gated by a form. Um, and there's something that we've implemented called self-report attribution, which is how did you hear about us? Open text required field that was also developed by Refine Labs. And we have those on our form and so we get the raw feedback from a potential buyer of where the demand was created or the most impactful touch point of where the demand was created. So as we run these demand creation strategies um, and tactics, we should see brand wear traffic increase. And then the next step, people starting to raise their hands and say, hey, I'm ready to talk to your sales team. I'm ready to to hopefully buy or at the very least have a discovery call with your sales team and learn more about this product if the website didn't do it. Um, And through those self-report attribution responses, you're then able to analyze where the demand was created and tie that back into the activities that you're deploying as a marketing team. Um, So those are the metrics that I I use or the data points I use to monitor and evaluate demand creation uh, efforts.
0: All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, It's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's Basically, like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Lead Feeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. It's great to break it down that way. Kevin and I, we might get a bit of hate for it, but we say at the end of the day, we think you know, every six months to, to a year, a business needs to actually just look at total revenue generated, uh, divided by everything that was spent on marketing, including headcount, and go, did we do better or worse than in the previous year? Because we think that marketing is really every touch point with a customer. You know, whether it's sales, because, you know, we speak to a lot of smaller businesses and so many of our marketers are just spending their time doing sales enablement. You know, marketing is how things are communicated in an email, it's your paid advertising, it's your organic, it's everything. So we think at the highest level, that needs to be measured. And we think that truly is a reflection of marketing's contribution to revenue. But of course, for those who want more answers and want to break it down further, it's great to work backwards and go all the way back to, okay, you know, what qualitative insights are we getting? What quantitative insights are we getting? And how can we attribute that to our marketing programs? And of course, none of that attribution is perfect, but I think we just have to accept at some point that that's, that's the what happens with marketing? You can't attribute everything perfectly.
2: I love that you bring up the qualitative insights. And and by the way, that is fantastically said, very well said. Um, And that's one thing that I didn't touch on. I touched on the quantitative brand aware traffic and and these high intent razors or high intent conversions, whatever you want to call them. Um, But in addition to that, to your point, I'm also looking at the people that are actually liking and engaging and commenting with the materials, with the social posts that we distribute. I'm also doing primary customer research. I have an individual on my team. We go out and communicate with buyers that are not customers and having open conversations, not necessarily asking um, how they heard about us or things like that, but we will jump on calls and and we'll have a director of contact center operations say, hey, yeah, I've been hearing your content. I've been, I've been listening to your videos. I've been reading your posts for three months now. And that is just as powerful, if not more powerful than the quantitative insights. It's great to have a number to show to leadership that demo requests increased from these create demand channels. But um, if we have, if someone's not there yet, if what we're solving is not a priority or they don't have a budget allocated to solve that priority yet, that that feedback is is incredible. And, and that's things that you can capture and you can bring to leadership because they love to hear that qualitative feedback as well.
0: The qualitative feedback, I think, you know, really helps light up that dark social aspect where, you know, it's very hard to see what's going on, very hard to see what is working. But so many of our listeners, so many people we speak to, they really have a hard time communicating the importance of. Shifting away from a lead gen model to incorporating demand creation into their marketing program. Now, you've had quite a lot of experience with Refine Labs. You're now in-house at Observe AI. What challenges have you faced in communicating that importance of shifting to including demand creation as part of your strategy when it comes to dealing with leadership? Because if leadership aren't bought in, then there's really no point.
2: Yeah, we, we recently did this at Observe AI, so this topic is very fresh. From this experience, I have a few things that I've learned that helped uh, shift from lead generation to demand generation. Um, so, so obviously we'll, we'll talk about those. But before I get into that, it does depend on the structure of your organization. So Observe AI, for example, we're series C, we're growing very, very quickly, but we're, new, we're not too organizationally rigid where we can't make this shift. We don't have a massive SDR team or a sales team where if leads get cut 50%, half of the department isn't doing anything. Um, I've got a friend that's an SVP of marketing at a a, uh, now public company. and, And I was talking to her the other day and they would love to shift from lead gen to demand gen, but they simply can't because the result would be probably firing 50 SDRs and and the that's that's tough and i hate to be candid but it's the reality so um so how do we shift to lead gen to demand gen how do we get the sales team and the business on board with this strategy the first is what i found is showing business acumen a lot of marketing leaders focus on leads and mqls and do not roll it up into revenue and pipeline velocity and customer acquisition costs and so these these business leaders, such as sales and customer success and finance, they like to hear that you are trying to push the business forward and not just push the marketing department forward. Um, So that, in my experience, has now gained a lot of respect uh, for us and and very helpful in uh, moving from lead gen to demand gen. Additionally, the next step is to align on the metrics, the right metrics, and then show the data. And so Uh, What we did, we pulled the data together, showed them this is our customer acquisition cost. This is our conversion rate from lead to customer. It's like 0.001%, whatever it is, because we are on a heavy lead generation model. And when you put that in context, in terms of operations and scale, it does not scale. And so immediately sales team and and business leaders were, uh, it was a little shock to the system, but it made sense. We cannot continue to run this machine because it's highly inefficient. And, and very expensive. Um, and so we showed that data to, to display that there needs to be some sort of a change. And now comes the question of how do we change? Um, and, and it begins with aligning on new metrics. So we focus on uh, high intent conversions only. So we're beginning to ungate assets like events and webinars and eBooks, uh, uh, or excuse me, digital events and things like that, uh, because they don't result in closed one. And we're implementing uh, so the high intent conversions, and also hero. This is another metric uh, created by Refine Labs. It's high intent revenue opportunity, and what that is are opportunities that close at a stage at twenty five percent of the twenty five percent or greater, trailing six months. So it's very dynamic. If twenty that twenty five percent changes from stage three to stage two, we we obviously shift to the stage and optimize for that stage, and the sales team loves it because simply put, we're promising them you will close one out of every four opportunities created here, which automatically aligns us. Um, so uh, that's from a strategy and high level perspective, I found that to be very effective in, in our current transition from lead gen to this true demand gen model. Um, and then setting expectations, we, we told them the leads are going to decrease, but qualified pipeline will not be impacted. Um, and we've seen that leads have decreased by roughly 50%, but our pipeline has not been impacted at all. So our efficiency is actually improved. Our customer acquisition cost has improved. Um, so there's a lot of excitement internally within our organization right now.
0: It's a scary prospect for a lot of marketers, I think, all of a sudden being accountable for, for revenue or so much closer to revenue, you know, saying that we're going to measure things like the hero metric Um, to report on how good our marketing is. You can see why there is some reluctance (laughs) or resistance to shifting away from the lead gen model, which is so much easier.
2: Absolutely. And I was just having this conversation with our VP of marketing yesterday. We were out in New York City for some meetings. And um, through our conversations with sales, that's one thing that we brought up. Shifting from lead gen to demand gen is not making our job any easier. It's making it significantly harder because now we are committing ourselves to revenue, which is significantly harder uh, than lead gen. And so um, to be candid again, if you're in it for the short term, if you wanna hit your lead goal and your MQL goal, collect your bonus and be on your merry way, stick to the lead gen model and, and you will get your bonus in the next quarter. But if you want to take a company to Series D, Series F public, if you want a a business that's actually innovative and successful, then you need to commit to this model. Otherwise, the ability to scale and grow will be severely uh, impacted in a a negative way. Um, So I am in it for the long term. I want to see Observe AI go public. And and honestly, that's obviously when when you make uh, significantly more money, um, and things like that. So, in the long term, this is what's going to result in uh, better economic conditions for your family or financial situation. But a lot of people are so focused on the short term. That's no knock. I've been there as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great topic.
0: Oh, look, that's why I love uh, talking about creating demand because everything to do with it is about playing that long game, uh, whether it's you know, your career, your own financial situation, revenue of the business that you're working for, doing so many things that don't necessarily scale right now. I mean, even for the two of us, like having this conversation, we don't know what impact that this is going to have, but we're both playing the long game. I love that, you know, with Refine Labs and even what we're doing, we have to do so much education around this topic before, you know, winning a new client. And the market, particularly in Australia, is not really quite ready for this yet. But hey, we're in it for the long game. We trust that uh, eventually, especially when things get tough, marketing is going to be looked at. They're going to be held accountable for a bit more than they are at the moment. And we want to be at the forefront of that. And so I love that Refined Labs have had that incredible success by educating the market, creating demand themselves. And now they're going, hey, we're just going to teach everyone to do what we did. That's, that's amazing.
2: And I I love the light that you put it in. This is not for the faint hearted. It is very difficult. And it's it's not for everyone. And and that is totally fine. There's that not everyone wants to invest this much time and and work and, and go through this transition because it's extremely difficult. So before, whenever I advise on this transition, I always set that warning. This is going to take a while. We're, we're Things that have been wired into, for instance, sales teams for the last 15 years, this is going to take six months, nine months, 12 months um, to change this mindset and change how we do things. And it's not easy. Um, but as is with everything, the hardest things are the most beautiful. And obviously, the hardest things have the, the best fruit to them. Um, so that's that's a great point.
0: Uh, we actually had a chat with Rand Fishkin the other week um the uh founder of Moz and now he's got Spark Toro and it was amazing listening to him speak about what he did for Moz and he essentially just did things that didn't really scale uh that much for 17 years at Moz like he just built that brand one person at a time and it was truly inspiring to see the results of i guess like a seriously long-term demand creation strategy um and that was terrific. You know, it was really great to see someone who is on that other side and has done so well. I mean, you guys at, when you were at Refine Labs, I'm sure you, it was very satisfying to see that process work again and again, particularly because it took so much education to get that buy in. You finally won everyone over and then you went into execution mode. And it must have been very satisfying to see results on the other side. Absolutely.
2: It is, uh, it's one of the most fun things. Uh, that I've experienced personally. So, um, but like I said, it is it is hard. It is a journey, um, but if you're in
0: it, it's a blast. All right. Well, I want to talk about uh, challenges for a business when it comes to creating demand. And since you've been both agency side and now you've moved in house, I want to ask. What kind of challenges did you face when you were agency side in terms of creating demand? I mean, we think for us, when it comes to creating demand, one challenge is, of course, getting that buy-in. But two, having like truly, genuinely expert content and having subject matter experts, that's always a challenge. Is there anything that you came up against again and again when you were agency side and trying to help implement a demand creation strategy?
2: If you don't mind, I'm going to pull it out of specifically the agency side, and just talk about the challenges of creating demand broadly. Experien- Experienced those a little bit here uh, at my short time at Observe AI and-, and through working with a few different companies. Um, and one of the biggest issues that I see is is, when moving from this lead gen to true demand gen model, which is predominantly creating demand, a lot of teams, they ungate their content, they shift their LinkedIn ads uh, Strategy from website conversions to brand awareness campaign objective. Uh, they, they launch a podcast that they record an episode bi-weekly and they believe because they're doing the activities that they're now creating demand. And Sweetfish Media came up with a, a line that they've been really evangelizing that awareness does not equal affinity. And so just because we're doing the things and, and we're in front of more people does not mean that it's actually building affinity and resonating with the market. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that I've noticed has been the biggest challenges to creating demand is, is thinking, okay, we just have to change these small tactical things and it's going to work. It will have a little bit of an uplift, uh, but it's not going to reach the goals that, that you've uh, laid out. And so one thing that... I personally have found in creating demand, primary market research, uh, obviously very, very important, arguably the most important thing. So actually being in tune with your market and what uh, challenges they're experiencing and what truly matters to them, um, but also speed and agility, right? So I can interview 10 customers in a month, learn what what matters to them. But if I release one podcast episode and three social posts and. One blog and refresh ads every six months. I'm not implementing those learnings um, so you'll see for instance at at observe AI, we have four social posts a day on our on our company page. We have uh, many individuals uh, throughout our company sharing posts or using that as inspiration to write posts um, and it's it's because we're so agile and we're pairing it with this customer research, we're able to learn rapidly and deliver content that is extremely valuable to our market, thus creating that demand. Um, So that's uh, just being out in front of more people and out in front of your market and just changing tactics slightly does help, but it isn't creating demand. If we go back to the definition I gave to you guys at the very beginning of the episode, it's creating a desire. And I like to keep things very binary and simple. Are we actually creating a desire or are we just
0: changing the behaviors that we do? I like that distinction. It, it is really, uh, it is really, really important. As you said, um, <laughs> awareness does not equal affinity. And that really comes back to that other thing that you touched on, which is like customer interviews, getting to know the customer really well. And Kevin and I have always felt that that's where there, there is this sort of disconnect between and people want an agency to handle all of this for them but we always feel that that deep understanding of the customer having that feedback loop between the customer and then the content that you're putting out there and then it being you know shared by um, you know different employees That is something that is so intimate to a business that we find it really hard to believe that an agency could truly do that. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Absolutely. Being on both sides of the coin, majority of my career being on the agency side, now internal, it has to be internal, especially on the agency side. A lot of agencies have a lot of employees, there's high turnover. um, And so you very well could get a new account or, or whatever they're called inside of your, your agency organization. So um, that's one issue. If you have an agency professional uh, collecting all the customer insights and they leave to go internal to a company, you effectively lose all your customer insights. And then additionally, which, which this is the more, more important point, customer insights don't just influence your marketing. It influences the product roadmap. It influences how sales interacts with customers or potential customers, how customer success interacts with customers. Um, so for instance, when I do customer research and, and there's a common theme throughout conversations, I can bring that back to the product team. Say, hey, I just interviewed 10 VPs of contacts in our operations, they have this issue. We should create a product to fill that void. Um, and so that customer insights and customers that are at the core of a business, that's why we create a business that must be internal to a company. Uh, I think outsourcing it to an agency is, is, can be a short-term fix if you need to prove something out, but it is not sustainable and eventually it's, you're going to have to bring it in-house.
0: So what role should an agency play then in assisting with that demand creation process? Yes. In, in, in the ideal world. In the ideal world.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, through my experience, the two things that agencies do a fantastic job in, in terms of advising uh, for demand creation. Because they have an outlook on several companies, they're able to innovate and experiment um, messaging, channels, tactics, things like that. So, they can advise and help with hey, over the past 30 companies. Um, we've seen a podcast telling this sort of narrative work very well. And so they can, rather than you experimenting and innovating with a bunch of different channels or programs, they can kind of point you in the right direction based on uh, multiple companies and multiple industries and verticals. Um, additionally, agencies are, are very good at execution. So uh, precisely because they've worked with a lot of companies and have experimented a lot and so, um, The actual execution being launching the LinkedIn ads, helping with the targeting, that's been a huge lift for us at Observe AI. We have an agency assisting with the execution. So I can collect customer insights, create the campaign overview and and the deliverables that we need to create, and and then they can just go launch the LinkedIn ads,
0: uh, which is very helpful. I guess that gives you the room to think about the strategy and actually just stay really focused on executing that strategy. I think as marketers, we're always guilty of looking for the next shiny object and chasing that. But I guess the ability to um, just be able to focus and go really deep on executing one particular thing and then being able to outsource the things, which I think are quite commoditized, like you know, uh, executing ads, for example, leave that to an agency. The agencies
2: have gotten a bad rep, and being internal to an agency, um, it's kind of, it weighs on my heart, right? I, I love the agency life. I think it's great. Um, majority of agencies are uh, high volume in terms of the, the number of agents that they have, and, and you're just another number. But there are incredible agencies um, or freelancers such as you guys or Fine Labs that is deeply ingrained with the strategy and the challenges of the company. Um, So I've seen a lot of companies uh, only resort to agencies for execution, Um, but there are companies out there that can provide a lot of strategic value that is both strategic and executional value that can make a massive uh, difference internally to a company. So um, maybe that's just a personal nod. That's something that's been weighing on my heart, but... Uh, it's it's gotten a bad rap, and uh, partly it should, but partly it should not.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some good ones out there, and um, hoping that people understand the difference between the two, um, I think that can be a bit of a challenge. But you know, that's why we're all out there doing our work and <laughs> hopefully educating people, uh, you know, one person at a time, what the difference between good and bad is. Miles, you spoke earlier about how. When you take those customer insights, it's so great now you're in-house that you can communicate that to other teams. And now you are in-house and you're, in charge, you're involved in demand generation. You're working with the product team, customer, the customer marketing, the sales team, field marketing, you know, probably speaking to head honchos as well and the executive team. Have you learned anything new that you didn't quite appreciate while you were agency side about what it takes to execute a demand generation strategy?
2: I absolutely, and, and it's, it's more the cross-functionality. Of course, agency side, you advise on you should take this information to customer success and sales and product, but now I actually have to do it. <laughs> and it, it, is, it is very difficult orchestrating those meetings and um, not losing people's attention, especially uh, teams, like, teams like sales and no-knock-on-sales. They're out there trying to win deals and it's very fast paced and, and very intense, right? Part of uh, majority of your pay is through commissions. So time is very valuable. Um, and so building a a story that I can communicate and articulate very effectively in a short amount of time um, to the right people is something that I did, I thought was going to be, to be easier uh, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so meeting with the VP of customer success and, and the sales leaders and the product leaders and making sure that the information that I'm delivering to them is actually valuable and getting that getting that interest and that attention um, is is difficult and I found that just preparation and telling that story uh, is is very very important.
0: I've I've spoken to quite a lot of marketers who you know, have done everything that we advise them to do, you know, show, show the executive team, you know, look at the impact of the leads that we're generating at the moment. Like, you know, look at the opportunity rate, look at the win rate, look how many sales staff you need to just win those. Look how inefficient it is for your business. And they kind of go, well, yeah. And uh, you know, that's, that's not great. But then they still just can't get them to take that extra step to going, all right, well, why don't we try and change something? Why don't we do it differently? And I think that's something that's very hard to understand when you're external. Do you think that there's a role then in engaging someone external to the business to try and have that conversation with those executive teams it's funny you know sometimes i think this is like basically what consultants do half the time is they go in they speak to management get their ideas then have that same conversation with the executive and because the executive's paying them a buttload of money then they actually listen for the first time do you think that there is a bit of a difference there uh, in terms of communicating externally versus internally Absolutely. I, uh, I'm i all for having a, a consultant
2: come in and, and advocate for a point um, or a strategy shift that, that you're advocating for, just because it is, it adds additional social proof and, and credibility to the argument, right? Here's a consultant that has worked with several successful companies, and they're backing up your argument. Um, and as you said, it, it's it's good to have an outside person come in and, and deliver that news to, to add to the conversation. So I don't have a, a deep response on that, but I do think it's, it's very valuable. For instance, right now we're, we're working on category design and um, I think it's, it potentially could be something that we may need a consultant to come into to help uh, either refine what we believe um, or add that, uh, that extra credibility to the argument.
0: Miles, as we get closer to the end of this conversation, uh, I want to ask about Miles Madden, the man. Uh, what do you see as, I guess, the next evolution of your skill set?:
2: Continuing to improve my, my business acumen. So I executionally, uh, I feel pretty good strategically from a marketing lens. I, I feel confident in my, my ability. Uh, mainly because I've been surrounded by incredible people such as yourself and, and the amazing talent at, at Refine Labs, which was great in my preparation as a uh, marketing leader internal to our company. But um, the next iteration is is understanding sales deeply, understanding customer success deeply. I'm reading a bunch of finance books and uh, books around VC firms and, and that uh, whole process. So being able to look at the business from a different lens outside of marketing. Uh, I am hypothesizing it's only going to improve the relationships and the effectiveness of my marketing, um, or I should say our team's marketing. So um, that is that's something that I've been hyper-focused on um, this quarter, I actually plan it out. So this quarter I've been pretty pretty deep in learning finance.
0: I love it. I'm ready for people to take marketing seriously. Uh, Kevin and I, we used to be corporate lawyers and my dad still tells people I'm a lawyer because he doesn't think anyone's going to take me seriously if I'm a marketer. And (laughs) I think that we all need to do our bit in changing that narrative. So to all marketers out there, take inspiration from miles and educate yourself on things that are outside the marketing world. Get to know other things about the business, ingrain yourself in it miles thank you for being so generous with your time uh, it's been amazing to have this conversation you're always such an open book uh, you know love that you always share your learnings with us with uh, you know the wider audience Is there anything that you'd like to add to this conversation before we round it out?
2: Ooh, there's one thing that's been uh, weighing on me also, and it's it's where B2B is going. There's a, a topic I've been super passionate about lately, and I appreciate you giving me some time to, to quickly touch on it. Um, and it's the discussion around B2B being boring, and I won't turn this into a, a long rant as I, as I usually do, but um, just having more respect and bringing in creative professionals and giving them more freedom. Um, one of a major unlock in, in terms of the effectiveness of uh, marketing that, that I've experienced is, is bringing in creative professionals that have the, the knowledge from customer research, have the data of what's worked and what has not worked, and given them the freedom to go outside these really stiff brand guidelines that are typically persistent in B2B um, and just letting marketing do marketing and and talk to humans so that's the last thing that I have I promised I'd keep it short so
0: that's it for me no I love that let's bring the creatives uh, back into marketing that's what everyone thinks marketing is anyway so <laughs> that's that's fantastic thank you so much miles again thank you for being so generous uh, with your time listeners please follow miles' journey he shares so much incredible valuable content uh, Normally on LinkedIn, but I see you've gone a little quieter there lately, Miles. I guess you're probably busy settling into your new role. Where would you like people to find you? Yeah, LinkedIn would be perfect. I have been a little quiet the past few weeks
2: with, uh, we've had quite a few meetings having to travel to with, with Observe. So
0: we'll be back on. Um, LinkedIn's the best place to find me. Beautiful listeners, there is a ton of value in just going to his profile, clicking on his posts and just scroll through. There's a huge amount of gold there. Thank you so much, Miles. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. And we'll catch you next week.
1: Bit of a moody background soundtrack, wasn't it, this week on the interview? Hey, George?
0: It was. It was a little ominous, a little scary, um, but it definitely doesn't take anything away from the great conversation with someone who's obviously really well-versed in demand generation, B2B marketing, and all things be seen as well, Kev. He's living the theory and giving us plenty of practical insight.
1: Yeah, it was such a valuable and enjoyable conversation with Miles, and hopefully his experience and insights are a tight match to some of the pain points that our listeners are experiencing, and therefore
0: can get a lot of great value from that
1: conversation.
0: All right, Kev, let's go over a quick recap and some of the main points from the conversation that we found super insightful. The first one is, listeners, demand generation takes time, so set that expectation early and start aligning on what the signs are that demand generation is working. And sometimes it is hard to shift to the demand generation in your marketing.
1: It's long-term, and as we said a few times, it's not for the faint of heart, but for sure, if you're in it for the long haul, you have to do demand generation.
0: And Kev, creating demand is about creating desire. Changing a few tactics is gonna help, but it's not gonna get you to where you really wanna go.
1: Miles gave some great examples on this next one, uh, but having a story or someone external to the business to help you drive home the point and get the wider businesses buy-in is so important. And particularly when you have a couple of numbers from the data to back up that case as well. But be sure to get that buy-in because without it, it's gonna be really hard to get started and to keep on track.
0: Another point of his that I really loved, Kev, and uh, it was so great to hear from someone who's moved from agency side to in-house because you and I have both done that as well. There is definitely a role for agencies to play in demand generation provided you find the good ones. But Kev, we've said it, there's just some things that need to be done internally and can't be outsourced.
1: Yeah, it's really difficult to try and get internal business functions operating and working towards the same thing and in the same direction without having someone internal leading that process. We mentioned this at the start of the show as well, listeners, but Miles also said to bring in the creatives and let them do the thing once you've equipped them with the insights from your data.
0: That's it. Let's get the creatives involved nice and early. Make sure they're informed with everything they need to know about your ICP and they're going to bring some awesome ideas to the table to help get as much cut through as you can. Finally, Kev, for marketers who are in-house, it's so important to just educate and ingrain yourself in other parts of the business. You'll have so much crossover with them. And if you do that, you're really only gonna up your marketing game if you know more about what the rest are doing. So please go cross teams, go and get to know people, go and have real conversations with them. It'll prove invaluable with the insights you can take to your marketing.
1: All right, listeners, go check out Miles Madden on LinkedIn. As always, we're absolutely stoked that more and more of you are joining us each Monday to listen to the podcast. If we can ask one thing, it would be to please leave us a short review on whatever platform you listen on or pass on the show to someone who might enjoy and get value from it. It's amazing help to us, our future listeners, and we'd really, really appreciate it. Take care, listeners. Thank you, George, as always, and see you all next week.
0: Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. Thanks again to Miles. Take care. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the
1: latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook.
0: We'll be back the same day and same
1: time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.